Welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, an unbelievably huge guest, arguably one of the one of the coolest to ever do it, Royal Trucks' own Jennifer Harima is on the show. And if Jennifer couldn't get any cooler, this show is all about hanging out in early DC hardcore. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. You can send me an email. It goes to my brother, show producer, Tristan Abraham. Love you, Tristan. Thank you for all your hard work. He will get the message to me if you use Facebook. He also runs a Facebook page, Turned Out a Punk. Oh, no, no, wait. That's Facebook.com slash Turned Out a Punk. There's also an Instagram page at Turned Out a Punk, a Tumblr, a, uh, a Friendster. No, there's not a Friendster, but there's, there's a lot of other fun stuff to check out around Turn Out a Punk. If you want to support the show, the right now, the best way for you to support this show is by telling all your friends, letting everyone know that you enjoy this podcast out there. And if you want to support this show and you use iTunes, you can subscribe to it, you could rate it, or you could rate it on your platform, listening to platform, 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 platform of choice. And that would be great. Speaking of support, the show would not be possible without the kind, loving, generous support of the fine folks at Vans. Vans came on board, well, now a couple years ago and said, we like your podcast a lot, Damien. We just don't want you to have to lose money doing it anymore. And I said, awesome. And so now I do this podcast with their loving, kind support, and I just book whoever I want to book. And once in a while, they fly me out to do a House of Vans event. So it's a... Pretty perfect relationship, if you ask me. Speaking of House of Vans, House of Vans is going to be back for a whole run of amazing events all over the place this summer. Keep it locked to Turned Out a Punk. We're going to have a big announcement about an upcoming Turned Out a Punk appearance at one of these House of Vans in the very near future. I think, hopefully next week we'll have that announcement. If not next week, the week after. But it'll be coming up, and oh my gosh, I'm excited for it. I love doing those House of Vans things. They're, they're like a thrill. Everyone on that team super cool. I, I get fed, I get put up, and I get to nerd out about punk music. It's really awesome. And I don't have to worry about booking guests. It's perfect for me. It's perfect. Thank you, Vans. And thank all of you for your continued support of this podcast and, and believing this thing. I know that a lot of you have been writing in, writing in about this Patreon that I've been talking about weeks on end now. It feels like, well, it has been weeks on end that I've been talking about it. Well, guess what? It is launching finally this week. It hasn't launched just yet. There's going to be a big announcement. It's going to launch this coming Thursday. I'm going to have all that info posted for you about this thing in this week's episode of the Turned Out of Punk Footnotes Super Show. Oh, I'm excited for this. I've got all sorts of cool stuff figured out. I got I got Turned Out of Punk Damien mini Lego style figurines. I got shirts. I got all sorts of cool merch. There's other podcast stuff coming. There's going to be a new DJ radio type thing that I'm going to be doing. All of that will be explained to you in footnotes, super show this week. And I'm probably going to do an, another podcast, just kind of talking about the Patreon thing also this week. But yes, finally, the turned out of punk Patreon is launching. I'm very excited for you all to see what we're going to be doing with the show. Once we launch this thing, we're going to have a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun doing this thing. And people ask me all the time, you bored with this podcast yet? You bored doing this thing? Hell no. Hell no. Because of weeks like this. Because every once in a while, you walk into the podcast studio, which is basically my house or wherever I happen to be, and you get to sit down and you get to interview someone from a band you love, and they reveal to you an entire secret, deep cut punk rock history that just blows your mind. And this is one of those weeks. Jennifer Harima, perhaps best known, well, definitely best known, as a member of Royal Trucks, the legendary, I don't know, rock band Royal Trucks. It's hard to classify them in a genre, but they are a band that influenced countless bands in their wake, myself included, and, and really defined cool. Like, they were the, they were the coolest of the cool 
back in the 90s. And I remember in 1997 picking up Thank You as a, as a kid, having it blow my mind, and then reading more about this band, becoming a fan. Over the years, Jennifer's also done some other bands, including Black Banana and, and all sorts of cool stuff. So when I got to sit down and talk to her, I thought we were going to be talking about that stuff and the early Royal Trucks years and maybe talk about Pussy Galore and, and how that kind of, you know, I had no idea it was going to go here. And that should show that maybe I should have read more because maybe she's talked about this stuff before, but I didn't know. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. So this is, I don't want to ramble on anymore because we get into some cool stuff and I want you to hear all this cool stuff that we talk about. Royal Trucks does have a brand new record, White Stuff, out now on Fat Possum Records. And of course, they will be touring out in support of that, so check local listings. Oh, listen to this new record. This new record is is phenomenal. This band is phenomenal. This episode is wicked. That's it. I'm, I can't blather on it anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Jennifer Harima on Turn Out a Punk. <laughs> Talking about yeah the the punk rock genre. Actually, I met. Um, have you met Tony Retman? Oh, I love Tony. Tony Tony's a former uh, guest, t- former two time guest of the show. I love Tony. Yeah, he interviewed um, Neil and I for uh, the Wire last year, the Wire magazine. Not that, <laughs> um, and we spent like hours with him. It was great. It was fun, and we were supposed to hang out. I don't know, maybe nine months ago when he was in town but i couldn't make it because i live by the beach um further down south i couldn't make it up to la so we missed each other but yeah that guy yeah he knows knows his shit oh yeah um (laughs) i don't know i i haven't read his books i don't see i don't read about music either freaks me out a, a lot but um yeah I just think it's really commendable when anybody like sticks to and anything, you know, in particular for, you know, for the duration, for the long haul. And, you know, like Tony and you, like just, I mean, just holding it down year after year um, and being dedicated. I think that's pretty huge. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, still in Washington, D.C. Like, um, you know, have you spoken to Cynthia Connolly? No, I would love, love to have Cynthia on the show. Like I, oh, I, you've got to. Yeah, I would love to. Absolutely. Like I think, go on. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's, I've had a lot of people from DC on, but you know, uh, you know, like, like yourself, I think that's, it's amazing how many people came out of that scene that, you know, like you, you immediately think bad brains and minor threat, but like, right. no, there's a lot of stuff. But- so much stuff because it was all like all ages. So you mm-hmm. read like a lot of those shows that were set up. Like you know, you had. I mean, I was like you know twelve years old, and there there were people getting fucking like totally. You know, Iron Cross would be there, and Sab Gray would be getting fucking wasted out of, out of his mind. You know, and then I'd be like twelve, but it it, it didn't matter. Like it didn't matter. I didn't feel like um like oh I was hanging out with like you know adults everybody was at the show and everybody was doing the you know i don't know there was no the there was no real age gap thing in my mind as a kid and i think that's why so many different people so many disparate people from so many different neighborhoods throughout dc virginia and maryland like all ended up knowing each other because it you know it was kind of concentrated you know, in D.C., mostly Northwest D.C., but then, you know, of course, you know, minor threat, the house in Virginia, but everybody used to hang out in Georgetown and Olson's um, books and records. That's where uh, John Stab used to work the door and just, I don't know, um, I, Tesco used to, Tesco V used to work there, I think, Maybe it was, maybe he was substituting, but this is all stuff. Like I had, I used to have to go from Southeast DC. I'd like walk a mile, take the subway for half an hour, walk another half a mile and then take the bus to school. I I was actually bussed out of my neighborhood. So once I would get up there, like up into Northwest, like after school, like I wasn't trying to go home. So I would just like wander through Georgetown and just like meet people that would go, you know, went to schools in that area. And 
it was, yeah. And it was all because of the music, basically. Otherwise, I wouldn't have met those people. Well, I want to, believe me, I want to talk to you about all the stuff you mentioned. This is like this podcast's bread and butter. You've, you've hit on some of our favorite things already. But um, I got to start this off, <laughs> Jennifer, the way I start them all off, which is how did you get into punk? How, what was the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, yeah, I mean, as when you said that a little few minutes back, I'm like, how, what was the first thing? I'm like, really? I think it really was um, being like wandering around. Actually, no, it was pre. I think it was I, actually, I'm not sure if it was wandering around. I think it was wandering around in Georgetown and seeing flyers. I, my whole bedroom. My God, I I had so many amazing flyers. My whole room was um, wallpapered. My mom threw them all out when I oh. left home. <laughs> Shit, yeah. So I think it was the flyers, I'd say, wandering around and seeing the flyers and then actually like wanting to know what it was. And, you know, uh, there was no internet or anything. So it would be like 930 Club, like what's, you know, what's that? And then... Basically, unless the, unless it was an all ages show, you had to be a certain age. But there was a, a lot of all ages shows, and then there was a lot of weekend all ages shows. Um, so I kind of just figured it out, like you know, through flyers and then meeting people, like while I would be wandering around after school. Um, John Stab, like he was always like one of the sweetest guys. It's like so. so so sucks that he passed away but i mean there was a there's still a huge community of people there like you know anna connelly cynthia's sister was like one of my really close friends um back you know back in early teens and i you know hadn't talked to her 20 some odd years and then she just like hit me up like a year ago on social media and like she called we talked on i think oh wait, no it was not talking on the phone it was like an hour's worth of texting and she just put out a record um and i was like laughing i was like yeah it only took you a million years because she would always <laughs> just you know go to shows and never made any music so i was pretty shocked to hear about that but it was kind of like no time had passed mm -hmm. like the way we were writing and talking to each other was like oh Dun, 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 like you know as if we were still in you know junior high school <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't know i think that there's a lot of that that goes on in dc i haven't been to dc in so many years but i see it you know i see it online i see it in my social media like people will like you know out of nowhere just like you know hit me up and i just you know and it's cool because it's these are people you know it's a lot of times there's people, I don't know, I'd say from like grade school, my best friend from grade school, I can't even remember her name. Mm -hmm. Like, but these people, junior high school and high school, like, there, you know, there's, there's some, there's just some real uh, camaraderie, I'd say. It just didn't, didn't dissipate through the years. So. Well, it's almost like these people become family in a weird way, too. You spend so much time with them after a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's not like, you know, like, you know, I intimate, like, you know, knew everything about everything about everything. Yeah, we yeah. just all knew each other. Like, I didn't, you know, I couldn't drive. I was like 12. But I still knew, you know, the Void dudes. And I would get rides out there to go, you know, to Bailey's Crossroads and watch people skate and shit like that. You know, I, that's awesome. The, you know, it's just a, it's a, you know, they were older than I was, but nobody ever really. I was really quiet. I was really, really tall and very, very quiet. So I kind of just like just blended in, and I just always, you know, always had like a friend that was much older that could drive or do this or do that or whatever. And so that's kind of, kind of, yeah, that was the camaraderie part of it. Actually, I was just talking to somebody about it, Lance, I don't know, I think it was last week. And um, we were talking about, I was talking about Void and I was telling him, 
Bubba had this band called Earth 18. And I didn't know it was him um, at the time. We were playing. We were playing with Royal Trucks was playing with Green Day in Atlanta, <laughs> and there was a band before us. And I was like, "What the fuck?" You know. And then he looked really familiar, and it was like kind of synth and other. It was so long ago, but come to find out, it was Baba from Void. And I just, I just thought that was just so cool. Like there, you know, this is still. I mean. I guess I left. I mean, I started young and left left out of DC young too. So all this stuff like was so was concentrated, basically within a span of like four years, and it seemed like a lifetime. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, was there like a divide in the DC? Because like, obviously, you know, the stuff you're talking about is very much like that Discord kind of. Um, you know, the discord kind of community that scene like that still exists to this day, but there's also, you know, definitely the other side where there's like bands like Pussy Galore that I think, well, at least famously seemingly rejected it. Well, Pussy Galore wasn't part of any of that. They they weren't, they weren't even, they weren't part of the conversation at all. Yeah. They, um, that like punk rock, like was, that was happening, you know, I mean, they came along, I'd say, you know, and they're not from DC. Um, but Julie K. Fritz, um, her father, Conrad K. Fritz, like, uh, had a house in Georgetown. And I think that, cause they, John Spencer and Julie K. Fritz went to Brown University. And then I think they had some like art project or something and they started Pussy Glory and it was all about, you know, like, you know, fuck you, fuck you this, fuck, you know, the kind of the contrarian attitude or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, you know, and it it was, it was kind of from uh, academically, I think that that's the way that they thought that they were trying to push boundaries or something, but it was a New York band straight up. I mean, neither one of them were from New York, but when they really like, I guess they were, did play around DC like a little minute because I know John Hamill was within their band for a second. I just did it. They came so far after the fact. They came at like when I was just leaving DC, um, and so I just didn't think of them in the same way. I thought of them more in the same way that I thought of kind of like um, I don't know, Peach of Immortality or like earlier like Scythian like just stuff that was you know um just kind of like Tom Smith just trying to push boundaries you know mm-hmm. um for the sake of it and that that's cool too that's a whole separate thing um but yeah my experience like that that whole experience was a New York experience like when I moved to New York um and so I I know those people from New York mostly, not not DC. Um and it also felt like felt like you know, minor th- it, fe- it felt like punk rock had been around like forever by that time. I, I guess everything seems so uh I don't know, like a year was like five hundred years, like when you're in school, you're like, Oh my god, when's <laughs> the summer coming? Oh my god, oh my god. So everything Really, just didn't take all that long, but those are the formative years, so so to speak. So they did, in fact, form (laughs) form me in some way, um, or inform me in some way. But in the DC stuff, there was two different factions as well. I mean, there was like the straight edge thing, which I like was always always against <laughs> but i i didn't you know it's not like i t- you know you talk about it i started smoking weed when i was like 12 and it's not like i would just go and 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 do it and you know in front of everybody but it's not, i was also not hiding it trying to pretend i was straight edge either you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so there was like you know there would be like Iron Cross, you know, Dante and Seth, they, they were, they were, they were wild and, you know, <laughs> they, you know, and, and Mark Haggerty, you know, they, they weren't, you know, straight up, uh, you know, straight edge or anything. Um, 
I think that, you know, my, of course, my, you know, Ian, uh, is that was just, you know, what his, that was what he was standing for. Um, and because he like took such a strong stand and he's still standing in his own truth. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, how, why so many people have been so inspired by what he's done for so many years. And it goes back to that kind of standing in your truth. And, you know, I just, yeah, it wasn't like he was trying to force it on people, you know. I mean, he actually spoke at first, like my first real boyfriend. I, oh, I mean, that's what I would say. Um, it was right before I met Neil, um, but he was, he was, you know, nine years older than I was. I was 14 and he was 23 and I don't know, you know that was crazy but he yeah. OD'd and died oh, man. and you know Ian had known him so Ian spoke at his funeral like he came from you know a household that had no money or anything so he was like carried in and like literally like like a, bo- a wooden box and I I, I remember I not staying very long. I just remember Ian started talking, and I really hated my ex. But like, I mean, it's so weird because you know, he used to beat the shit out of me and stuff like that. And but you know, of course, you're sad when you see somebody in a box, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I didn't get to I didn't stick around to hear all that Ian had to say. But I was told, you know, he was just like it was like positive, you know, wasn't. Was it like trying to like shame, you know, people, him for doing drugs or, you know what I'm saying? It was, you know, he wasn't, um, he wasn't stuck up like that (laughs) or or judgmental. Yeah, no, I I think a lot of people just put a lot of stuff on Ian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kids just, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not just, you know, obviously like, you know, we're not kids, but it's just kind of the the strength of his personality and what he brought, you know, to, to music. And I think that's, it's pretty rad. Um, and Alec, I mean, I used to see Ian over at Cynthia and Anna Connolly's house after school. Like I would be wandering around and then maybe I'd take the bus uptown to their house and eat macaron cheese and Ian would be hanging out and I would be like, wow. Yeah, he's so cool, you know, and yeah. he was always so, so cool to us and stuff, but I spent a little more time with Alec, even, but. Who's also cool. Of, oh, it was amazing. Uh, yeah, I love Alec. I um, love that guy. Yeah, he's a great dude. Um, but like I say, it's just, these are, it's just, I was so young and it was like for only like four years of my life, but it seems so monumental. Like mm-hmm. I'm sitting here talking about somebody I knew when I was like 13, I'm like <laughs> totally great dude, you know, <laughs> um, well, but I, I believe it. I believe that he still is. You yeah. Know? No, I was going to say mean, he was on the podcast last year and I can vouch that he's, he's just as awesome these days as he probably was back then. John Falls, I remember, yeah, he would come in from Virginia. I think he's a photographer now, too. No, he does, still does some stuff for Thrasher, I think. Um, yeah, shit, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, punk rock definitely changed my life completely. Like, I would not be here right now if it were not for punk rock and... And, you know, bad brains and minor threat, honestly. What was the first show that you, like, you know, you mentioned seeing these flyers, but what's the first show you remember going to, obviously being super young, so whatever you remember? I don't know. I saw, I never saw SOA, but I would just uh, go and during the hardcore matinees. It was, I guess also because I was from an all-black neighborhood, and I hadn't seen, you know, any black people in punk rock at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, although there were some. Um, Tony, this chick, she played in a band called Red Sea. She was a badass, but she died of pneumonia as a teenager, which sucked. But anyway, so seeing HR flying around with his dreads and just like not being like a, 
uh, a, you know, a white punk rocker, you know, wearing the, the requisite, whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, vans <laughs> and this and that. Um, I just, my mind was blown. Yeah. My mind was blown. I mean, that, that was what really, I mean, the whole idea of just kind of getting behind something in your life, um, in general. So regardless of what band, but it, you know, just seeing the dedication that, you know, people that were, you know, on the verge of being adults, you know, as, you know, I'm like a kid looking up to them and they're like, you know, totally accepting me and I don't know. It was pretty, pretty epic. You have a puppy that's like, doesn't really know what's going on yet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You you did that record with Wino a couple years ago or a few years ago now. Wino. Yeah. I love fucking Wino. Did you know him back then? Did you know him as a kid? Oh no! I saw. I didn't know him as a kid. I I just seen him. I'd yeah. seen the obsessed. I'd seen Saint Bud. I I saw a lot. Of, I remember um, nine three five three Vance Bacchus. Um, he'd been in the obsessed for a minute, um, and that's how I got into the obsessed was via Jason Karma. He'd been in Scream too. And then he had, he was in a band with Dan Joseph called Nine Three Five Three, and this guy Vance Bacchus was in it. And then I was like realized that he had you know he was in Obsessed for a minute, and so I started getting totally into you know the Marilyn Doom thing. Started that's right when I moved is when I was starting to like a DC space, a lot of uh, like kind of D, like Doom bands or not not. Not like hardcore show bands, but so no, but why not? You know, we, he knew, he knew who I was. I knew who he was. We were both in like some rock magazine, like a million, you know, a million years ago. Um, when I first moved to New York and he said he remembered me because he liked my jeans and they were all patched up and shit. And, um, you know, he started working um, with my husband, doing some St. Vitus stuff. And then um, Black Bananas uh, guitar player, Brian, Brian McKinley. Black Bananas is my other band. Um, Brian, uh, he also plays bass in Royal Trucks now. He recorded um, uh, Wino's other band's um, album at our studio. And I, I think I don't know. I, I just remember, like, Wino just you know coming to the studio. My husband bringing him over, and then we, you know, I recognized him, and he recognized me, and then it was just like, yeah, well, you know, East Coast, you know, East Coast pals immediately, fast yeah. friends, you know, yeah. kind of understanding that whole, um, I don't know. But Premonition um, 13, I don't know. I, I know they toured a bit. That was his other band. But, um, yeah, and then, yeah, we did. He said he had always wanted to do um, that Stone Song Sway with me. And I was like, what? Like, I was all, like, flattered. I was like, you always wanted to do And he's like, yeah, you got a gnarly voice. And I was like, oh, yes. cool. Cool, cool. Glad to eat it. But we did it like, like he did this in store thing, and we did it live. But it was like a, I, you know, I was just like, oh my god, oh my god. It was like an acoustic coffee shop type thing. I was like, oh shit, I can't do this. But I, you know, I did. Um, it's just weird to think of myself and wino <laughs> like acoustic in like a coffee shop setting singing anyway but it wasn't a coffee shop but it was like it was a retail outlet you know so it's like anyway that was funny and grant garrison the og he actually that's also so crazy because he lives right by me now um, he took care of, um, he lived with Earl, um, for many, many years, 
uh, Earl was taking care of HR. And then Earl kind of, I don't know, I, th- I think he just kind of gave up on it. But Grant um, became, you know, kind of HR's like, you know, looked looked over him, managed him, everything took, you know, until he got married um, not that long ago. Uh, they were like, they were just like kind of a tag team. But it's bizarre because I don't live, like, I don't live in a city. I like live by the beach. Um, like, there's nothing here. And out of nowhere, like, say, I'd say it's like six years ago, all of a sudden, I don't know, I'm going to the grocery store. All of a sudden, Grant, OG Grant standing there. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing here? And he's like, I just moved here. And I was like, oh my God. It was just, it's just weird how shit like that happens. And like Royal Trucks, like we had been offered to play so many times to get back together to play for different things. And, you know, so Neil was always like, no, no, no. I was like, yeah, cool. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy anyway. It's like, just continue on. And then, it was super shocking when Neil called and asked me if I would um, put a hold on Black Bananas and try Royal Trucks with him again, because the show he wanted to do is is, is literally six blocks from the, my studio mm. in the middle, of, like as far as I'm concerned, in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. Santa Ana. <laughs> like I'm like, <laughs> how did that happen? You know what I mean? Like. Just really weird kind of um, kismet shit. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing something right. It's all coming out. It's coming out pretty well. Colors looking good. It's it's also know. like it's also I think punk rock. Something weirdly cosmic about this genre. Like where you know, like you're saying, like I don't I don't see anyone I went to high school with yet. Everyone from my punk rock life keeps coming back in weird places and weird ways. Yeah. Yeah, I it, I don't know. It's just yeah, cosmic energy. <laughs> I just kind of yeah. I mean, it's kind of hippie, dippy, but I kind of believe if you're like doing what makes you happy, and it's not it's not a selfish thing because whatever makes you happy makes you a better person in the world. So it's kind of for the good of everybody that everybody's happy. So whatever makes you like you know, happy and feel content, mm-hmm. you know, the best, you know, to the best of your ability, shit kind of s- starts working itself straight for, you know, at least for me, it did. I mean, a lot of hard shit, you know, to get to that place mm-hmm. <laughs> where you're like happy and uh, like all good. But Well, like when, did you ever try music when you were in DC? Had you played in any bands prior to Royal Trucks? Royal Trucks started in DC. See, there's also this whole myth that that Royal Trucks started after Pussy Glory. Royal Trucks started well before Pussy Glory, but it was just myself oh, wow. and Neil. And um, I was I graduated high school young at 16, and I was my last year of high school. And when my when that you know the boyfriend died. One of his best friends came, um, you know, to, I don't know, to talk to me after school or whatever. And he was a lot older, too. And But he lived um, in Northeast D.C. and lived in this kind of warehouse, artist kind of warehouse that didn't have showers or anything. He had a bathroom. But I went over there with him after the boyfriend died. And Neil was um, living with him. And that's how I met Neil. And then we just started doing a lot of acid. And then next thing you know, Royal Trucks actually came about on an acid trip. We were on like this, this big, like wooden platform with, with like four different mattresses on it. And we thought it was like a, a boat <laughs> and like the cruise ship, we we call it. It was like the Huey P. Long <laughs> Memorial Cruise Ship. And if we got off, we would be eaten by shark. And we had so I don't. We had to like start, you know. I don't know. We had to do something, and somehow there was this one guy that lived down the hall, and he used to 
key in the bump in bumpers. You know, we just call forty ounces like bumpers, and because and he while he knew that we were tripping our asses off, so he took all of his pee bottles and surrounded us, so we couldn't get <laughs> off the platform. And you know, it was just this whole thing. I don't know. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but this 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 is where what happened, and I don't know how that triggered Royal Trucks, but it did. And we played some we played some shows at DC Space. It was just just myself and Neil. Um, you know, I was just kind of I can barely play the guitar. I mean, I can I I write on the guitar and piano, but I you know my my eye hand coordination skills pretty much suck. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just for writing is when I actually bother. But I, at that time, I was, you know, playing the guitar to the best of my ability. Um, but then, yeah, then um, I was working at a kite store in Georgetown my senior year. And John Spencer's wife came by, and I had known her. Um, I don't, I forget how I had known her. Um, but she asked me, I, I don't know, they were somehow, they were looking for Neil. Um, John and Christian, John and Julie were looking for Neil. Um, and so she came in, she knew he was my boyfriend, and I put them all in contact. And then they basically, like, they offered him a job. They're like, look, you know, we'll give you a place to to live or pay your rent, and we'll, you know, and this is the band. And so he he did it. And it was, I don't know, I'd say like a half a year before... I we went up there because I had gotten a scholarship to the new school um, for social research, so I knew I was going up there anyway. And I lived at the YMCA because the new school isn't really, you know, it's well, at the, especially at the time. It's not, you know, they don't have dorms. They they barely had like, you know, a building. But mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so we. You know, Neil went up there with them, and then I I followed up there um, for school, and then Neil and I just continue, you know resumed <laughs> the 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 Royal Trucks thing, like you know just kind of with whatever we had, and then I, I guess it was probably because the song "Fix It" was on a Pussy Galore record. It was on right now and it was and it was credited as Royal Trucks um as a song that we wrote. But um I think that's probably where the perception that Royal Trucks came out out of Pussy Galore. But they couldn't be two more opposite bands oh, really. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean I love Julie. She's she's hilarious. Um I saw her when we played in New York, not the last time. Um, it was like like a couple of years ago, and that was cool. I haven't seen anybody else um, from that band. One, I like it's because it's funny because like there's I've always thought of them as being a DC band, but I guess that's just because like as you say, um, the the drummer was obviously also in Velvet Monkeys and was like a DC. Yeah. Cat- Person. And they had that first seven inch did come out on a DC label and they have that disc song on DC hardcore on it. And they have, yeah, but there was shove records. That wasn't, that was their label. Like, yeah, that was their that. label, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they went to buy our records, um, which is where they ended up in, yes. uh, well, they were in New York and buy our records. They were like, I think Jersey or Long Island. No, New Jersey. Absolutely. New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and then that's where uh, White Zombie ended up for a minute, I think. And then they both ended up on Caroline. Yeah, they were both yeah. On, definitely on Caroline. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. Uh, maybe the, uh, Bio Records is certainly uh, home of AOD and other uh, yeah. <laughs> other yeah. kind of. Uh, I'm pretty positive that. White Zombie? I'm trying to remember the. I know they I did. I think it was like the, maybe the very first thing. Like before, you know, I mean. This is when Tom Five was still 
like they were still at Parsons. They were still at Parsons School of Art. Like they yeah. hadn't even graduated. Um, but I thought, and then I thought it was by our records, but maybe it was Caroline. They definitely did Caroline. I know that. Um, yeah. And you know, it's funny. Actually, I just learned this the other, recently. Uh, the, you know, Moby's hardcore band Vatican Commandos? Yeah, Neil 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 conversed or in whatever way with Moby at the beginning of this uh twenty eighteen. They went to school together. Oh wow, really? Yeah, they Neil got kicked out of University of Connecticut, I guess the first year. But that's where Moby went and I guess they, they had known each other. I that was something I didn't really even know until recently. So anyway, Vatican Commandos. Vatican Commandos. Their third seven inch. The cover's actually drawn by Rob Zombie. So I guess Rob Zombie also knew a young. Oh man. yeah, oh yeah, I was, yeah. Rob, yeah. And Gerard Co- was. What's oh, I was going to say Gerard Cosloy for Matador was Rob Zombie's housemate for a minute too in New York. Yeah, I God, I find that hard to believe. But I mean, no, I mean, I mean, I, I used to, I was really good friends with Rob and Shauna. Um, and Straker was always drawing. Like, I mean, they were both in art school. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's he's a great artist, and he was just super. Yeah, I actually saw him at a fucking. You know, I don't know. It was a Skinner concert, like maybe five years ago, up in LA, and I was only going because they said Kid Rock was going to be singing, <laughs> um, and I could get on the guest list. But I saw him there. It was great. We like just ran into each other, and it was like the same as as if nothing had changed. And I was like, still, still uh, preserving those brain cells because he was infamously like you know really you know straight edge but it wasn't it was about like preserving his brain cells <laughs> so <laughs> i'm like on and on about that and gerard well gerard is basically responsible for anybody i mean he might want to kill himself after i say it, <laughs> but responsible for anybody knowing about royal trucks mm-hmm. um because he we like we made our first, like, we paid for our first record. We made, like, I don't know how many, like, 200 copies of vinyl. Um, and he was, you know, he loved Neil, and, and he, he liked me a lot. But, you know, I wasn't in, you know, the bands that he would go see all the time. But we were all friends, and he helped me a lot. He hooked me up with all of the distributors that sold all those Royal Trucks records, you know, within 30 days. Like, and I didn't even know what a distributor was at the time. I was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and it just so happens that one of those distributors um, uh, was in Chicago. And what the fuck was it called? Oh, man, my brain smoking too much was it new renaissance Uh, is that no no oh god it's like so there i'm just blanking right now but the distributor it was where dan kretzky um who we started drag city with was and he was a full-time accountant but he worked at um the distributor part-time and the record came through there and then I remember uh, that's just yeah. So it's all it's all Gerard and and Dan's fault. <laughs> Don't hate us. <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, it's just weird. The world is so small. I'm sure. I mean, it's obviously a lot smaller now because of social media and the internet in general. Um, so much smaller. But it's even before like even before. 95 the world started seeming kind of small absolutely but i think once again it's like weirdly punk rock you know and it's hardcore it's like gerard once again was like a hardcore kid in boston a few years before that you know much like you were a hardcore yep. kid in dc and uh-huh. you know Mar- it's funny mary from helium was just on the show and she oh mary Timoney, yeah, yeah yeah and she grew up down the street for me in two uh you know, like, you know, and was going to shows, uh, you know, a couple years oh, later, yeah. but going to shows yeah. in D.C. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I saw, and, and, and she's, like, located, um, isn't X-Hex, aren't they based in D.C. now? Yeah, they are. 
Yeah. Yeah. She's back in, in, in D.C. and stuff. So, or, or Yeah. See, I didn't know her in D.C., but I, I met her, I think, when she was living in Boston. She would come to Royal Trucks, and we, I don't know, we just somehow met each other. And, you know, it seems like a million years ago, too. <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's such a amazingly cool, small world. Uh, just kind of going back to you know, when you started playing and when, you know, did you play live in that early incarnation of Royal trucks? Like before the move, when you were still in DC? Yeah, that's what I was saying. A DC space. That oh, was the yeah. place. That, yeah. And, you know, and I was playing guitar. That's what I was saying. It was, it was pretty rough. When <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was just, you know, Neil and I just, you know, I mean, he was singing, playing guitar. I was playing the guitar, or no, I was singing and trying to play the guitar. Um, but we, yeah, we played a couple of shows before before we moved to New York. So when you when you did play those early shows, what was the scene you you kind of fell into? Like, what were the bands that you know you were got you were playing with at that time? Oh, we, I don't even know. We weren't even, this is like DC space was so small. I don't know. Neil's just somehow like got us a show and you just, yeah. you know, whatever money they got at the door, they would give you part of it. Um, so I don't even remember what bands were on that bill, but I just like, I kind of like was explaining earlier. Like I liked all the different kinds of music, you yeah. know, whether it was straight edge or not straight edge or, you know, just whether it was doomed, this and that. I don't know. I, I, I never, I just, I just was like, I want to, I'm going to do this. And I'd always, you know, right. Like I was always writing, always writing, always writing. And I, you know, played the piano when I was a kid and um, when I had my first recital I like freaked out because I was like on this big stage I was probably like seven years old and then there's all you know all the families staring at me and I like just completely like went improv like I had all the sheet music in front of me I, I knew what to do but instead I just like totally went improv and I was like I will ne I never want to be on a stage again and uh, you know ironically I still still have a, a love hate relationship with being on a stage I kind of I kind of don't I mean I don't like it but at the same time I like I like um you know I like performing I just I just don't like it like knowing that people are staring at me. So I guess that's also early, like always had long bangs, sunglasses, hoods, just so I could like be in my own little world. <laughs> but there was kind of nothing that I would say was, you know, directly inspiring or coloring early Royal Trucks. Early Royal Trucks was just like whatever we like, whatever I could write and play. And then that coupled with, you know, Neil's brilliant guitar playing and a strange voice. It's really just what I actually really, really solidified, you know, my thought on this is this doing this new Royal Trucks record. Like after, you know, Neil and I didn't even speak to each other. It was like 16 years or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and then next thing you know, we're writing these songs. I mean, we had been playing, you know, for a couple of years, but it really was like, it's not like we're like, oh, we had to go make a Royal Trucks record. You know, these are the sounds or it's got to sound like this or da, da, da. It literally, it, it's just when the two of us get together, it's the, the chemistry. It just always sounds like Royal Trucks. It just does. Yeah. Just, I don't even know how it comes to be because like, my, you know, Black Bananas and RTX didn't sound like Royal Trucks, but you could tell it was me. Mm -hmm. And then Howling Hex, you could tell it was Neil, but it didn't sound like Royal Trucks. But then both of us get in the same room and start writing and playing music. It, it just turns into Royal Trucks. It's kind of kind of awesome like that. There was, it was required no effort. <laughs> I like things like that. Absolutely. Well, it's just natural, I guess, right? Like, it's just like that's such a natural songwriting duo 
Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it it's like kind of when when you have to labor too long over any one thing, it's just maybe it's like it's time to like take a break or whatever. Um, we didn't have any of that. We were like, okay, we've got twelve days. We're in. We're going to be in and out, and that's that. And we, it just. I mean, of course, we had been writing while we were like um, on tour. We we did like a festival tour of Europe in twenty I think twenty seventeen. And so I kind of, we just started talking about topics and basically we kind of just started writing, you know, via conversation. It's, it's going back to the very beginning when you did that first demo tape, like the 87 demo, like the pre-album stuff. Uh-huh. Um, was yeah. that, was that the first stuff that you ever recorded? Did you got, did you record any of that DC kind of era stuff that you were just like, when you're just figuring it all out? I think that there is a tape somewhere. No, I mean we definitely, we definitely had a, a boombox um, tape recorder, and we taped stuff in that warehouse. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, there was this girl Holly, who had come from Los Angeles. She was older too, but she was staying in that warehouse with, uh, you know, the dead boyfriend's friend that was staying there too, and. She was playing like two drums at one point, and I know we had a recording of it. Um, it might, you know, you never know. It might pop up. So, like, shit makes actually, yeah. That one tape you were kind of just mentioning, I think it was that tape. Like, somebody hit me up on social media said that I didn't even know that that tape existed, and they said that they had bought it off of ebay for i don't know a couple hundred dollars and i was like well i'm not going to give you any money but can you make me a copy so, <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah you so could, i got a copy i was like oh one. my god this is funny as shit yeah it's just weird well it's funny too because that's like a holy grail item because there's like a whole you know like some of that stuff obviously got re-released on the lp but there's a whole side of that tape that's kind of like, you know, including the Neil Young cover. That's yeah, unheard. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we, oh, actually, that was pre, yeah, that was that was pre Jefferson Airplane cover. Yeah, we did like covers, and I don't know. Um, we had a lot of cassettes. I just don't know where they ended up. Mm-hmm. I think there is. I think I swear. I think somebody has one of one of the DC space shows. I swear I saw something like that. What what, what were the what was the influence on you know the band? You mentioned there was like no bands locally, obviously that were doing it. But what were like? What do you think you were drawing from, or you guys were drawing from early on? All of that stuff, but before, see prior, see prior to you know learning that you that there was such a thing as all ages shows and even more importantly learning there was such a thing as music that existed that wasn't on the radio or on the records that you just saw you know in your parents (laughs) collection like I just thought that that was you know music was that at a young age you know it's just like all those records and then the radio and stuff I didn't know that there was all the whole other you know subgenre or you know just this whole other kind of uh, you know way of way of I don't know so finding that out um and then realizing that, you know, I could do that and I, it didn't matter how old I was. It didn't matter, you know, if I, if I wasn't the most virtuoso, you know, I couldn't play that well. I still had ideas and things to say. I think it was mostly just kind of stretching that out at first, but then going back to, what I always thought music was before I realized that there was something else. And that was like the radio, 
mm-hmm. um, and my parents' record collection. And you know, there was, I remember like, loving, you know, loving the Stones, loving Dylan. I used to, my dad said, I used to cry when they would put on Seals and Crofts because I I hated it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. It was a song in Summer Breeze, and he said I used to freak out and, eat and like throw a fit and make him take it off. <laughs> Punk so from day one. Kind of, yeah. So all that kind of stuff, like just just real standard, you know, stuff, you know, of of, of the seventies, and I I don't know. I mean, the you know the real standard stuff. Like, you know, whatever was on the radio, Rush, Rolling Stones, um, Pretenders, that was 80s, though, actually, the Pretenders. Just, I don't know, big arena stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was kind of what, you know, were my real early, early, you know, that was all I had. And then until I discovered there was this this like seeing this thing this punk rock thing it's not on the radio you you know it's not you can't just go to like um i don't know what was the you know peaches record store (laughs) and get it you know um it it was so it was kind of a combo of the early early formative years stuff what i thought music like i thought that's all there was and then all the stuff I kind of I discovered after, you know, knowing that, no, there's a whole lot more. Like, you know, and then, you know, kind of, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, I think it was the pairing of the two pretty, pretty disparate um, sounds, like the, com- <laughs> the commercial radio, <laughs> like, and then the just the insanity of I remember just kind of early on like sometimes you know I ba- I would babysit and make money to, to buy records and sometimes I would just like close my eyes and just like just pick a record because it would be if it was in like the import section or something it was like you know Olson's was kind of one of the only places that had that when I was that young and everything was foreign and just looked so cool and weird and there was no way to to really know about it Mm -hmm. and I remember yeah just like listening to you know Discharge and GBH and like just sitting sitting in my room just thinking what's going on here you know and (laughs) and then like and just like listening to it over and over again until that became like that became the melody like there is a melody in that you know what I mean Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I I guess I kind of just just I don't know I think that's kind of like early Royal Trucks like there is a melody in there somewhere like there is a song in there (laughs) like I don't know. That's well, no. That that's so cool to find out that like that was the. I guess that's where that noise influence comes from. But like you're saying, there's almost like a wash of noise that, you know, you have to wade through it to hear the melody, and it's it's more present in Royal Trucks than it is in Discharge. But well, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but yeah, but just the the aspect of 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 like you know, listening to something that's kind of uh, dense, yeah, like, kind of not. Not what it might first appear to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know. I mean, I just think that all of those influences and all of that is just what, what formed me. And so that that's what formed what I brought to the table with Royal trucks, you know, and Neil's got his own story too, you know? Um, So it's just like that. (laughs) <laughs> that no that's it's so it's you know like once again i knew this was going to be amazing to get to talk to you about this but to find out how deep it goes with you like how important <laughs> this stuff is to you and like i don't know it's 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 awesome to hear because it, like we're talking about how the world's connected there's something where like you know even when i was a kid and i bought this record you know i just knew there was something cool about it and you know it's almost like this like weird punk rock DNA that just exists in everything that was cool and everything that is cool for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I, I, I know what you're saying. There's something, there's just something there about it. It's pretty, pretty epic. 
shit. So when you get to New York, where do you fit in? Where does like Royal Trucks kind of like fit in in the scene that was happening in New York? Because like, you know, we talked about. We didn't. <laughs> we didn't. You didn't fit in at all. <laughs> It's all Gerard's fault. No, I mean, I no, we really didn't yeah. at all. I mean, yeah. Neil, like the scene, you know, whether it be like Live Skull, Sonic Youth, Pussy Galore, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, White Zombie, uh, that kind of stuff. That was like this. That was like the the New York like scene, as it were, like Lower East Side, whatever. Um, and Neil was part of that because, you know, he was in Pussy Galore for a few years. Um, and that's, you know, that's how he met Gerard. That's how we met a lot of people we met. But, you know, not we didn't really fit in anywhere to that um, at all. I, don't, I mean, Neil and I were, like, pretty much, you know, we were, like, tag team, like, we were each other's own and only best friends. Like we didn't hang out with anybody, only, yeah. only, only ourselves. And I, you know, I would hang out with Rob and Shauna sometimes and, and he liked them too. But, uh, just in general, we just fucking stayed to ourselves mostly. Do you think that also contributed to the sound and like kind of why the sound developed the way it did? Yeah, probably just because in isolation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and just kind of not thinking about, you know, the context of, of, of music, just thinking about, like, how, you know, what you're doing at in the moment at the time and not thinking about, like, what anybody might think of it or what it even sounds like. I mean, yeah. that was never really... Like making a record was never even really a goal. Like it's just that all of a sudden we had a bunch of songs and some, um, there was like this studio. It was like, I call it, it was like the glass brick studios. It was in the Lower East Side by the Horseshoe Bar, but they recorded us for free. So, and I, I had been working at the health food store while I was in school. And I think it was like, it was 500 bucks to make our, you know, our record. And I saved the money. And I, and since we had the recordings, we just, you know, made a record for posterity, as it were. And then, that, then, then, then it just continued on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've, had the best time getting a chance to finally talk to you about all this stuff. And would you come back at some point for a part two? Oh, of course. Anytime, anytime. I mean, I'd stay on longer. I just did. I had told him that we could meet, meet over there. So totally, totally understand. Uh, we next time we can talk about Mike fellows. We didn't even get a chance to talk about Mike. Fellows oh, my, oh, Mike fellows, mighty flashlight. Oh, I have to say he doesn't see here we go again. And Chris Bald too. From yeah, Faith. yeah, yeah. Oh that's my true. God! Oh, all of that. Yeah, Chris Bald and Mike Fellows were both in Royal Trucks, and um, uh, I I gave uh, <laughs> you know I gave um, Mike Fellows a name, Mighty Flashlight, uh, and I can't remember why we did, but let me tell you, this is bizarre that you just bring this up because just last week, just last week, Mike Fellows, um sent me an email he got my email address from david berman i think he had run into him and we hadn't been in touch in a long time and it was just a week ago that he emailed me and was like we gotta you know he lives in upstate new york and just kind of hermit style is what he was saying but it's so crazy he just reached out well, that's awesome. I'm glad it all. I'm glad we got to bring that in at the very, very end. And oh uh, yeah, I would have. I would. Yeah, those. Yeah, Chris Bald and and Mike Fellows were a huge part of. Uh, yeah, huge part of the whole. I mean, we played with so many different people, you know, and all of them were important in their own way, for sure. Yeah. Well, as, a, as I say, Jennifer, this has been a, an absolute amazing <laughs> thrill to get to talk to you about this stuff and. Uh, I look forward to having you back on the show at some point. Yeah, totally. Part two. Uh, yeah. Fuck. 
Thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the show. And you can hear right there that we got lots more to talk about. Jennifer will be back for a part two in the future, I, I very much hope, because I never thought I'd be talking about Void and, and uh, Iron Cross with a member of Royal Trucks, but that shows maybe that I am still naive to the power of this genre. Uh, Rob Zombie actually did the art for Moby's band's Vatican Commando's second 7-inch, which I believe is their third record, or maybe it's actually their second record. But they only did two 7-inches, and he did the art for the second one. Uh, They did a 12-inch, too, of course. And also, it might be a little strong to say, now that I think about it, that (laughs) Gerard and Rob Zombie were housemates. They did live... You know, in, in, in apartments right beside each other within the same uh, apartment thing. So, I, you know, housemates might be a little stri- bit of a stretch, though. So, close, though. Close. It's pretty close. Anyway, that was, whew, whew. That was great. That was great. Speaking of great, next week on the show, well, actually, before we get to what's on next week on the show, remember earlier on the show, I talked about how I'm going to be launching that Patreon later on this week. Well, that is definitely happening this Thursday. There will be the Patreon uh, launching. I'm going to be dropping a Turn It a Punk Footnotes super show that day, and I'll have more information on it there. But there will be several tiers. There will be uh, new content coming. And yeah, it's going to be... I'm excited. I'm really excited about this thing. I hope some of you are excited as well. Nothing's going to change with Turn Out a Punk, the podcast itself. Some of you I know are upset that Footnotes has gone, you know, to to behind this Patreon wall or whatever. But fear not, Turn Out a Punk Footnotes Super Show is still going to be happening. So you're still going to get your dose of Chris O'Toole. But you know, this way we still we 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 have somewhere else we can be doing this show as well. And I'm not going to run out of space on the iTunes feed and all this kind of stuff. But don't worry, nothing's going to be happening to Turn Out a Punk. The show itself, footnotes, you know, things have changed a little bit. Anyway, we'll explain this further as we get closer to the launch this Thursday. Thursday, Patreon, Turned Out a Punk. Then, coming up next week on the show, it is Johnny Marr. That's right, member of The The, Modest Mouse, The Cribs, some band called The Smiths, and, most important to this show a one-time, one-show member of the band Sister Ray. This is an amazing episode. I'm a huge, huge fan of all the bands I mentioned that Johnny has played in. So to get to sit down and talk to him about this stuff, the stuff that you know we love, the people that listen to the show and myself love, whew, it's a dream come true. i got to give a huge thank you to Tristan for getting this one to come uh, down. Because he was asking me, like, yeah, we should get Johnny on the show. I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, what are the odds of that ever happening? He did it. He did it, and next week, you get to hear it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for the support. Thank you to Vans. Thank you to Tristan, my brother, my show producer. Thank you to you. Thank you to to everyone. Thank you to Jennifer for coming on the show. How sick was that? I will see you next week. Go out there and make your own culture. Uh, Sign your organ donor cards and tell everyone around you that you love that you love them because, you know... That's not always guaranteed. Thank you, everyone. I will see you next week. Bye.